Welcome to this podcast from the Institute of Ideas. This is a recording of a Battle of Ideas debate, Planet of the Vapes, Why is there a war on e-cigarettes, recorded at the Barbican in London on Saturday the 17th of October. My name is Russell Minogue. I'm the resources editor at the Institute of Ideas, and this session is called Planet of the Vapes, Why is there a war on e-cigarettes? So the title is pretty self-explanatory. But one of the reasons I want to hold this session is I have no expertise in this area, but it's just I'm a smoker myself and about a year ago started vaping and I'm one of those people who hasn't entirely quit smoking. I still, if I go to the pub or something, I have a few fags, but it has reduced my smoking by maybe 80 or 90 percent. So I was kind of bemused by a lot of the reactions to e-cigarettes, people immediately wanting to either treat them as tobacco where they would be banned in public places and pubs and, and all the rest. And very quickly, places like Scandinavia, a lot of cities across the US, like New York and Chicago, banned them in public places. So I wanted to get to the heart of why that was happening. And because it's it's been happening here as well, in Wales, the uh, Ministry for Health is pushing ahead with a, a ban on e-cigarettes in public places. So is there a reason to do this, is what we want to ask. And do e-cigarettes need to be more regulated, or, or and if they do, by how much? Uh, there's various other things. I'm sure you've read the blurb in the uh, brochure that may come out. So I'll introduce the speakers in the order in which they will speak. Each will give five to six minutes speech. Our first speaker, Duncan Stevenson, over here on my far left, is the Director of External Affairs at the Royal Society for Public Health. And over the years, he has worked on policies and campaigns on a wide range of issues, from calorie labelling for alcohol products, regulation of e-cigarettes, making our high streets more healthy, and campaigning to promote positive body images. Christopher Snowden, sitting on my left here, is the Director of Lifestyle Economics at the Institute of Economic Affairs. He writes widely for publications such as City AM, Spiked, The Spectator, and he's also the author of several books, maybe most pertinently to this, uh, Velvet Glove, Iron Fist, A History of Anti-Smoking, and The Art of Suppression, Pleasure, Panic, and Prohibition Since 1800. Then your most recent book, which may not be as relevant. This is Selfish Greed and Capitalism, Debunking Myths About the Free Market. Next to speak will be Dr. Richard Smith, over here on my far right. Richard is the Chair of Trustees at the ICDDRB, um, an international health research institution um, located in Dhaka in Bangladesh. Um, he is former editor of the British Medical Journal and is currently Chair of Patients Know Best, an organisation which aims to empower patients to manage their own care. <coughs> Finally, on my immediate right here, we have Larian Jolly. Larian is a vaping advocate and a founding trustee of the New Nicotine Alliance, an organisation which aims to increase public understanding of tobacco harm reduction. Okay, Duncan, would you like to kick us off? Hello, everyone. So I think I'm representing the nanny state on this debate in terms of the war on e-cigarettes. Um, and I think if, if you've got a war, you kind of need to agree what the battle lines are. So I think if we could just see where we might agree and, and disagree, I think we probably all agree in the room and on the panel that uh, smoking kills and it's not good for you. Uh, but we may differ on the extent to which we would 
try and encourage people to stop smoking uh, for the good of their health and the good of society. I think we'd also probably agree that uh, uh, e-cigarettes have a role to play in terms of uh, smoking, uh, reducing the harm from smoking. We'd probably disagree on the extent to which we champion e-cigarettes. As a public health body, the Royal Society for Public Health, we want to uh, stop people smoking. Uh, We know that two in three smokers also want to quit. It costs the economy a significant amount. It does generate some revenue, but it costs even more. So anything that we can do to encourage smokers to quit and to get them on to safer forms of nicotine, such as e-cigarettes, we would welcome. Nicotine is the common ingredient between e-cigarettes and uh, and cigarettes. And we know that e-cigarettes were developed by some, in an admiral sense, as a smoking cessation tool to get people off cigarettes. But we also know that the fag companies in particular have bought up a lot of these e-cigarette companies as as a way of selling nicotine to people. And it's a line extension for them, and it's a device to sell more nicotine products. As a smoking cessation aid, we would support e-cigarettes. And the evidence from Public Health England that was published over the summer shows that um, actually e-cigarettes aren't, you know, are not risk-free, but they are significantly less harmful than cigarettes. They, they quoted a figure of 95% less harmful. So I don't know where they got the figure, but what it shows is they are significantly less harmful than cigarettes. So if you're a smoker, switching to e-cigarettes is a no-brainer. Uh, part of the success of the way e-cigarettes have uh, taken off and are popular is the way they are marketed. They're promoted as a lifestyle, a subculture. You have vaping competitions. If you see the products themselves, you'd think the Apple store had actually manufactured them because they look so slick and, 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 you know, high tech. I think this is where we have concerns. If you're a smoker, it's fine, but if you're a non-smoker, why would you want to take it up? Uh, It's reassuring to know from the data so far that the gateway effect that that, the people who have never smoked um, is is low, about 0.2%, and that for young people, um, the the use of e-cigarettes is very low too. It's about less than 2% who who vape every month. But we still need to be mindful of this. Uh, Why don't we want to see e-cigarettes used by non-smokers and young people? Um, And this is where the nanny state thing might come in. Well, first of all, we're not out the woods in terms of the safety profile of e-cigarettes. Um, we, we know so far the evidence suggests that they're okay, they're, harm, that they're not as harmful, but we're not out of the woods by any means. So even if the safety profile of e-cigarettes is okay, then I think the next issue is do we want a generation becoming addicted to nicotine? Um, how does nicotine impact on our bodies? It, it releases dopamine, it releases endorphins. Um, It it activates the reward system in our body. But it's actually a very dull drug to take. Um, We know that, uh, I don't know that, Christopher, you've spoken about recreational nicotine. Well, actually, recreation, I looked up the word recreation, and it means done for enjoyment, amusement, or pleasure. There's nothing fun or enjoyable about taking nicotine. It actually is very displeasurable. David Nutt, Professor David Nutt, in his book about drugs, said that there are two main reasons for drugs. There are two camps for drugs. There's recreational drugs or there's medicinal drugs. As a psychoactive substance, nicotine exerts its effect 
because if you don't take it, you feel aggravated, irritable, you don't feel good. So it, it activates displeasure. If you compare it to some other psychoactive substances like alcohol, where it's a social lubricant, or so I'm told, ecstasy, which is a mood enhancer, or cannabis, which helps you chill out, apparently. Um, nicotine doesn't compare that favorably. Um, so I would say, um, why would you want to take it? Um, it's costly as well. It costs a significant amount of money to, 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 to purchase these and to keep filling them up and to take nicotine. So why would we want young people to spend money on this? Um, just to sum up, how do we see e-cigarettes working? We think that they should be promoted or encouraged to smokers as a harm reduction tool, just to smokers. Um, we need to persuade uh, the public, particularly smokers, that actually nicotine in itself in small doses is actually okay. It's not that too dissimilar to, to caffeine, although it's extremely addictive. But if you're promoting it to smokers who are already addicted to the nicotine, I don't see that being such a problem. Um, we need to make it harder to smoke. So we called for a ban on smoking outside pubs and bars. That was kind of shot down in flames by some who say this is the nanny state and, you know, why should we do this? We've got alternatives to cigarettes now, um, and these are e-cigarettes uh, and, um, and nicotine replacement therapy. And the coup de grace, if you like, um, we've... Um, I purchased... Well, I didn't purchase them, actually, but... Um, um, we were past these. These are magic cigarettes. I think the, the ultimate goal, these, these don't contain nicotine, or they contain very low levels of nicotine. We want to see nicotine removed from cigarettes. Um, we think, ultimately, this will demonstrate how effective um, and how enjoyable cigarettes actually are. Thank you. Christopher. Thank you. Um, okay, so there's a war on e-cigarettes. That's probably true. What was it like when there was peace? Let's just cast our minds back just uh, only a, a two or three years ago. You had a, a very innovative uh, market. You had a product that smokers were drawn to that they actually found enjoyable. Sorry, but nicotine is enjoyable. That's why over a billion people take it. It was an acceptable alternative uh, to e-cigarettes, probably the only acceptable alternative that's really come around despite 30 years of pharmaceutical nicotine products being, uh, being launched on the market. So people liked it. It was getting people to quit smoking, if that's what you're interested in. Um, it was clearly much safer. And there was a really, a really good... The closest thing you'll see to perfect competition. You know, the prices were... Very much like uh, mobile phones about 10 years ago, the prices were falling, the quality was getting better all the time. Um, incredible amount of competition um, on your high street with the manufacturers. Um, and the, the product advancement was extraordinary. And people enjoyed it. People were cutting down what they smoked and stopping smoking entirely. And then income. Public health people suddenly, years too late, suddenly noticed these things were on the market, mainly because the tobacco industry started buying up the odd company here or there. They only own seven brands in the entire world. There are thousands of them in total. But as soon as the tobacco industry got interested, obviously public health had to come in and decide, you can't do that, you can't do that, we don't want the advertising, we don't want this, is, no, we can't, no, I don't like this, rechargeable, don't like the flavour, might be able to get all this stuff. Convinced the um, European Parliament, who then came bumbling in, 
to pass some incredibly ill-thought-out legislation that will be coming in uh, from next May. means this e-cigarette, which is pretty average, will be banned for various different reasons, depending on how the Department of Health actually implements it. But they're going to ruin the market. And ironically, they're going to um, help the tobacco industry on the way because the products that will still be legal will be the ones that the tobacco industry likes because it's got, they've got the highest profit, profit margin and they don't actually work that well for people switching um, over completely from tobacco. And the result of this is we're actually going backwards. I mean, the market is definitely going to go backwards from May next year, thanks to the regulation. But even people's understanding of e-cigarettes is going backwards. People are less informed about e-cigarettes than they were a couple of years ago. More people think now that they are as dangerous as smoking than did a couple of years ago. Um, there are plenty of stories of people trying e-cigarettes for a sustained period of time and then going back to smoking because of what they read in the Daily Mail and the Telegraph and all the rest of it. Now, I'm not having a go at the Daily Mail and Telegraph. All the newspapers have been as bad as each other. They have an incentive for, for bad news. I, I, I understand it. That there's, there's no incentive for them to you know, calmly lay out the facts about e-cigarettes and tobacco harm reduction. Um, and so if some study gets published saying that there's an enormous amount of formaldehyde or there's a gateway effect and kids are going to start smoking as a result of e-cigarettes, they're going to print it. The responsibility ultimately lies with the handful of public health extremists who are coming up with this rubbish, getting it printed in places like The Lancet, challenging even Public Health, um, public health England's report about it, claiming it's somehow tobacco-funded and all this kind of nonsense and smears, the kind of stuff they normally reserve for their enemies and now reserving for one another. Margaret Chan this week, the Director General of the uh, World Health Organization, said that her recommendation is countries ban them outright. We are going backwards with this entirely as a result of the so-called public health lobby who are doing something quite explicitly that is against their own ostensible goals of improving public health. It's, a, it's, a, it's an Alice in Wonderland world we're living in now where the market is, has provided something that's actually socially beneficial and beneficial to health. And the people who call themselves health experts are the ones who are um, reducing the appeal of the product significantly and scaring people off it. The only positives I take from it um, is that, as I say, the public health movement has become somewhat divided. There are plenty of people, in fairness, in public health who actually are in favour of e-cigarettes, not in the mealy mouth way that you just heard from Duncan, but genuinely supportive of them. Um, and it's taken a bit for them to put their head above the parapet. But some of the people who actually work with smokers, as opposed to being in an ivory tower, they, they, it's impossible for them to not see that e-cigarettes are working. If you're working with focus groups and smoking cessation groups and you've been pushing shamtics and nicorette at them for donkey's years and with very little success, um, if you see people spontaneously picking up e-cigarettes and using them and giving up a 60-a-day habit, it's difficult to turn your, um, turn your back on that. Um, also, some of the younger ones want to be on the right side of history. It's pretty obvious to anybody who has eyes that e-cigarettes of the future have the potential of wiping out, uh, well, practically wiping out cigarettes within... 20 or 30 years, if allowed, which they're not being allowed to, but, but they have that potential. And some of them, indeed, are making up for lost time, because, as I say, no, you know, no, nobody in public health paid any attention to this um, until about 2012, 2013. Martin McKee now, who's this sort of corpulent toad at the London School of Tropical Hygiene, goes on the television at the job of the hat to uh, say that it should be banned. 
Um, never said a peek about this, supposedly one of the country's leading public health experts. Never said a word about e-cigarettes until 2013, except to say in a blog post a few years ago that they're obviously never going to take off because there's no, uh, there's no demand for them. But some of these people, as I say, are on the side of the angels with this. The Public Health England report was a good step forward. Action on smoke and health are kind of okay on it. Um, although they still support the European directives. But there's a, quite a few dinosaurs in this country and the other for whom it, they just don't care. They just don't care. They're not going to be, be around when um, uh, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll be retired or dead by the time the e-cigarettes have been proven beyond doubt to be uh, probably the greatest step forward in, in public health in, in 50 years. And the other positive I take from it is there are quite a large number of fairly militant vapors around now who are sick of being pushed around. They were pushed around as smokers. They don't want to be pushed around as vapors. They've done what they were told to do. They've given up smoking, and uh, they're not going to uh, put up with uh, being shoved around by these liars and Chaucerian frauds in public health anymore. And they are getting the word out there that actually you know, there is a, a huge amount of deceit um, in the public health movement. And for people like me, who's goal ultimately is to destroy the public health movement, um, that can only be a good thing. Thank you very much, Chris. I like all this stuff about, uh, can you hear me at the back? I was at a talk where someone said, can you hear me at the back? And the man stood up and said, well, I can, but I'm quite willing to change places with somebody who can't. Uh, so I don't know whether you're... <laughs> so um, I think I'm here as a sort of neutral, although... I must admit, I've become less neutral. I've come around to the idea that e-cigarettes are a tremendous boom. Um, I mean, we all agree that tobacco is just about the biggest cause of suffering and premature death in the world, and we've known that for 50 years. We've actually made rather slow progress. I mean, things are better in Britain, but there's still about 20% of people smoking. Um, and I think the idea that we're going to get it down to zero... With the, it was probably unachievable, yet that's the kind of vision, I think, of people like Duncan, and that's a very attractive vision, but is it actually achievable? And, of course, in the low-income world, I mean, in China, for example, more than 50% of men smoke, only uh, a small percentage of women, but you can see how potentially attractive it is. If you could just get as many women smoking in China as smoke here, then you'd have a vast market. So we've still got a very big problem. I think sometimes people in public health think we've kind of cracked tobacco, but we absolutely haven't. Uh, and like I say, I don't think that a tobacco-free world is probably achievable, which is why there's a role for how can we reduce the harm that comes from tobacco. And the simple fact is, which, rather to my amazement, my wife, who's as old as I am, although she never lets me say how old she is, um, didn't really understand. The problem with cigarettes is the smoke you suck into your lungs. It's not the nicotine. I mean, nicotine's a bit of a problem, but nearly nothing. She simply didn't understand that. And I think lots of people don't understand that. The problem, in a sense, is in the delivery system. So can we find a safer way to deliver nicotine? Well, clearly, e-cigarettes are that. And there are some groups... I mean, I think we'll hear about this in a minute. If you've been a, you know, a heavy smoker like my father was all his life, like my brother is, I mean, he just cannot 
give up. And particular group are people with severe mental health problems, particularly schizophrenics, have a very high rate of smoking. In fact, almost all schizophrenics smoke. And I heard the other day, rather to my amazement, that 10% of all sales in the US of, of cigarettes, which is about $10 billion a year, is to schizophrenics. Because actually they get benefits from the nicotine. They're self-medicating. It kind of solves that problem to some extent of information overload. And at a public health meeting I was at the other day, people said, well, maybe we should actually encourage people with those kind of conditions to use e-cigarettes because then they can have the benefit without the harm. Um, I think a lot of what's happened, as, and I think Chris made this point, is that when suddenly the public health movement woke up to the fact that the tobacco companies were buying up these things, they thought, in that case, it must be bad. Because I think we in public health have come to think of tobacco companies as supremely evil. You know, so anything they do, we must be against. But I think, as Chris has just explained, there's a huge irony here, because actually the people who are very anti-cigarettes may be doing exactly what the tobacco companies would like them to do. I think what may be happening here is a sort of classic... Uh, thinking fast, thinking slow. I mean, almost every talk I ever go to, people quote this book. And it is a fantastic book. And if you haven't read it, I really urge you to do so. So we have one way of thinking that's just bang. You know, you reach a decision, often on moral grounds, almost immediately. And then there's... And that's kind of easy. We can all do that. And then there's the slow thinking based on logic and science, which takes quite some time. And I think what's happened here is that people said tobacco companies are promoting it, uh, it's potentially going to encourage more smoking, it's a bad thing, we must ban it, we must be against it, we must do everything we can stop. But I think what would, makes a lot of sense to pay attention to what the effect on tobacco companies is, because cigarettes are unbelievably profitable. I mean, Warren Buffett said you can make them for a cent, sell them for a dollar, the customers are addicted. What a fantastic business. E-cigarettes are not nearly so profitable. So potentially, this is a bit like digital photography arriving for Kodak. You know, the company that was huge and successful made a vast amount of money out of selling film. How should they react to this very disruptive technology? And I think the reality is the tobacco industry doesn't really know how. I think they wish it would just go away. Uh, but whether they kind of buy it up, try to shut it down, put a licence on it, whatever they do, but I think they kind of recognise they have to be with it. But another thing about uh, trying to start a cigarette company is pretty well impossible. They've got a vast kind of oligopoly. But when it comes to e-cigarettes, then, you know, anybody to some extent can come along with a better e-cigarette. So... I think that the time has come when we in public health have to recognise, and Public Health England has, that there are real benefits for those people who are severely addicted to tobacco. And there are a lot of those people, and there will continue to be a lot of those people. We can help them with e-cigarettes. And the last thing we want to do is to allow the tobacco companies to continue. We would like them to see them go out of business. Thank you very much. Lorraine? Right. Gosh, that was a lot to listen to. <laughs> I wasn't quite sure what angle I was going to come at this from, so I wanted to hear what everybody else had got to say. My declaration of interest is that I am a vapor, and I have been for three years. I smoked for 23 years before that, so I was quite a committed smoker. The war on e-cigarettes. I think there are a lot of reasons why this is happening. Um, and I think most distressing for people like me is to see the people that are perpetrating this war, the guys that are actually making this an issue. 
These guys, the people from public health and tobacco controls, these are the guys who are charged with looking after our health, my health, your health, our children's, everybody's health, whatever decision that we make in life. They're supposed to be looking after us. Now, when this came along, around three years ago, it looked nothing like this. Um, much more simple devices. No one really knew much about them. But smokers started getting interested. Most smokers will tell you, and I don't know how many smokers there are in the room, but I'm fairly atypical. I tried everything to give up. I mean, I read the Alan Carr book. I had the patches, the gums, the inhaler. I did cold turkey. Um, I changed my entire lifestyle so I had to avoid any cues or anything that would make me want to smoke. My husband took Renaclean, which is Champix, um, and in the end I had to ask him to stop taking it because of what it did to his character. So I was the smoker who had given up giving up. I wasn't interested in not smoking anymore because it brought me too much misery. So when this came along, I was interested. And none of the other stuff had worked. And I'm the same as every other smoker out there that's picked one of these up. It's kind of idle interest. And you kind of think, can I do this without help? Do I not need the state? Do I not need public health to tell me that I can do this? Because I'm doing this online. I've spoken to other smokers and other vapors, and they've given me advice. And then it turns up on your doorstep, and you start using it. And it works. Then you discover there's a whole world of unusual and interesting people out there who are doing exactly the same as you. And not one of them has had to go to the state to ask for help to do this. They're funding it themselves. They're paying for it themselves. They are completely independent of all the bullying and all of the kind of demeaning behaviour that smokers have had to deal with for most of their adult lives. If you consider, I started smoking when I was 12. I'm 37 now and I smoked for 23 years. For most of my life, I was told by society that I was disgusting, that I wasn't wanted, that I couldn't be around them, I couldn't be around children, that I smelled. I had people approaching me in the street that I had never met before. Total strangers at my workplace tell me that made me ugly, that that was going to kill me. A total invasion of my private space for something that I was doing as a smoker. So when this comes along... And all these smokers pick this up. You kind of feel like maybe society's going to welcome you back again. That maybe all the people who had written all of the adverts, that had written all the guidance for the smoking cessation services, that they would turn around and go, do you know what? Well done. Because you're not smoking anymore. And you know, we've been bugging you about this for most of your life now. And what did they do? They turned around and they told us, you shouldn't have those because the flavours are bad for children. Children want to start smoking cigarettes because of the flavours. They told us, but it looks like smoke. So people are suddenly going to want to start taking up cigarettes again because what comes out of your mouth looks a little bit like smoke. Every single argument that could be thrown at us for doing this has been. And the last three years have been a constant war against the kind of ideological, puritanical idea that we cannot do something that might be a little bit harmful in place of something that's incredibly harmful. And what makes this worse is Chris mentioned um, Chan from the WHO. The WHO's own figures, their own numbers, which they are happy to quote at every corner, is one billion deaths this century. One billion deaths from smoking. Now, whether you believe the figures or not, even if it's only a fraction of that, that's a lot of people. And then in the same breath, she and other organisations, with more acronyms than I can possibly name, who are supposed to be looking after us, will say those same numbers and then say, but these need to be restricted. 
These need to be on prescription. Smokers should have to go somewhere to get these from the state. They shouldn't look like that. They should be much simpler. Why do they need choice? Who needs to use nicotine? Nicotine's a fairly inane drug, let's be fair. And I know because I've run the gamut of drugs, so I have some kind of some quality of experience here. <laughs> Nicotine is not the best of recreational drugs. But to say it has no positive effects is, is ignorant. As we've already mentioned, for um, various mental conditions, it does have pe- positive effects. And I think once we get further into this debate um, and the... And the and the acceptance is better, we'll start to learn more of the benefits of nicotine. But do you know what? It's no one's damn business. It's the ultimate thing. I'm not smoking. You told me not to smoke. I'm using nicotine. Tonight I go out and drink so much alcohol that I get in my car and kill as many people as I can possibly drive into. No matter how much of that I do, I never will make a bad decision. And ultimately what this comes down to is this ridiculous war against smokers and against the tobacco industry only affects one person. The cannon fodder in this is smokers. But then you kind of get the feeling that smokers don't really matter. Thank you very much. So we'll go directly out to the audience. Does anybody have any questions or comments? For me, the, like, the obvious starting point for this um, debate is that smoking kills nicotine doesn't. And that's absolutely obvious to me. Um, and I'm trying to work out why nicotine must go if it doesn't kill. Um, and for me, like, the obvious answer with that and drawing other like um, parallels with other harm reduction battles we've had, is that smoking isn't just about nicotine. It's about the culture that surrounds it, pub culture, club culture. Um, Smoking outside the school gate, smoking outside the office, that unruly rabble that smoke outside pubs, why must they go? They're the people that use nicotine, and it feels to me as if the reason nicotine must go is because that culture must go. Um, Whereas um, this is a point that Dr Adam Winstock makes very well when he talks about harm reduction, is that when we, when we conduct harm reduction, we shouldn't be trying to eradicate those cultures, drug cultures, cannabis culture, ecstasy culture. We should be trying to infiltrate those cultures and get people that partake in those cultures to behave in ways that are more safe. Um, so, <clears throat> like, where we've seen a lot of success with ecstasy and with cannabis is talking to people and the cultures that, that, that revolve around those drugs. Every drug has a culture, even something as, as small as nicotine. People outside the pub, they get that head rush. They're outside the office every morning. People stand around outside my office. And they get their little head rush. And there's a little culture that revolves around it. That doesn't need to go. That is not the enemy. Nicotine culture, club culture, pub culture isn't the enemy. And it's a division that I've seen very obviously on this panel. And I've seen it in the wider world. The people defending e-cigarettes, um, particularly on this side of the panel, are the people that smoke. The people who are attacking it are the people who are not smoking, who have never been part of, and, and have never been invested in that culture. Um, and that seems quite obvious to me. Nicotine doesn't kill. Why are we trying to get rid of t- nicotine? Well, because you're not invested in it. I, I smoke real cigarettes and consider vaping a sort of veggie alternative <laughs> for sort of children or something. But um, obviously there's all these health benefits. I don't really want to take up the, all those arguments. Everybody seems to have very strong health benefit arguments for it. I feel very much from the, per- from the view of personal choice... I was in a little town called Lewis in Sussex uh, a few weeks ago at a party and I was not allowed to uh, skin up my old Holborn tobacco. I was thrown out of the uh, sort of garden bit where everyone else was vaping and smoking marijuana. (laughs) That's when you've managed to successfully convince the kind of various cannabis cultures that uh, tobacco is beyond the pale. You know, I think the the clash of all the different kind of drug-taking cultures... 
it's fallen into almost micro-cultures. All the different kind of people who take all different things in all different ways. There's lots of micro-vaping cultures. There's lots of vapists that actually, unfortunately, um, are addicted to vaping and cigarettes. I have a friend like that who sort of basically just smokes all the time now, inside and out. I think we have to take it back to personal choice. Why does the state need to get involved in what I put in my lungs? You know, you're looking at the, the, the packaging, the advertising. I can build a bonfire, though, in my garden, and, you know, as much as I like, and it'd do me a lot more harm, probably. Let us go back to the thing of why does the state need to get involved in this? Why do you need to regulate something? It's a sort of a, a knee-jerk thing to regulate people and to regulate organisations. And this thing that once the tobacco industry became interested in vaping and trying to get a piece of it, then the public health people all started piling in. That's true, but there's a sort of a basic street-level thing as well, the street-level sort of a culture. It has become more acceptable to vape than to smoke, but as someone who still smokes and refuses to give up um, and will never give up till I'm dead, which obviously won't be long. <laughs> However, <laughs> I want to do what I like, and, uh, and I don't think that anybody telling me, however many initials they've got in their acronym, that uh, this is good or bad for me, will convince me to stop smoking, riding my motorbike and doing several other things that probably are not a good idea. But it should be up to me, and I think we should all be arguing from that point. Okay. Building on the previous gentleman's point, should it really be the purpose of public health to make people live forever and ever and ever? That gentleman clearly wants to smoke his whole life and die relatively younger than perhaps someone who never smokes, lives to the age of 103 and can't walk for the last 20 years of their life. So my question is, should public health make people live forever if they clearly don't want to? Well, I'm a, a lobbyist for the e-cigarette industry, and one of the things that first uh, in, interested me when I got into this debate was just how the strongly the scientists were in favour of e-cigarettes. And I thought, how is it that you've got uh, tobacco control and public health individuals so hostile to this when the science is fairly clear? And this has become, to me, uh, a study in the irrationality of the human mind. Because this is not an evidence-based uh, debate that's going on here. This is ideological. And when we, the historians look at this in 10, 20, 30 years' time... They'll ask things like, well, there was the evidence already from SNUS, which is a sucked tobacco in, uh, which is used in Scandinavia, that this was a way of reducing lung cancer to get people to move from one product to the other. And yet, despite having had 30 years of evidence already, this is a banned product. So the people weren't interested in evidence when it comes to controlling behaviours here. And the second thing is when we look at... Uh, uh, what governments should do, which is proper impact assessments of what will be the substitution back into tobacco from uh, e-cigarettes when heavy controls are introduced on this area uh, with the Tobacco Products Directive uh, next year. Nobody's looked at that substitution effect back in. Nobody's looked at what will be the growth of the illegal market. I was doing some opinion polling on this uh, three weeks ago, and an awful lot of vapours are going to go back uh, into smoking. An awful lot will uh, use illegal products of which there will be no regulatory control, obviously. If they're coming from Arthur Daly, there's no control of, of the quality of them. So we've got people who will be mixing their own nicotine liquids. This is just a public health disaster caused by public health. And I'm concerned about this utter lack of following of rigorous evidence. This is mankind at its most irrational. 
question for Christopher. I was reading your blog post about the EU and the new things they're bringing on e-cigarettes, and it's kind of a hypothetical question. Let's say that in the referendum, uh, people vote to get out of the EU. How does this change the scene with e-cigarettes, and generally, how does this change uh, regulating tobacco in general, if it brings any change? Thank you. Well, go back to the panel and see if anybody else wants to speak again in a little uh, while. First, can I just make a point first before I, I, I turn to, to some of the points that the audience have made and the, and the question. Everybody on the panel has criticised the public health movement and you've lumped organisations such as the one I work for together. It's, I, I think you need to read our policy paper and read our research. We are supporting e-cigarettes as a harm reduction tool. Um, we, we believe that um, if people want to quit smoking, they should um, be given as much support as possible, um, and that's the bottom line. We are also evidence-led. I'm uh, the gentleman at the top there. Uh, we are evidence-led. And actually, when we started developing our policy paper um, on, on this subject, we... We were surprised that the, uh, the being evidence-led, that the evidence would take us uh, to support e-cigarettes. So, so I, I, I don't think it's fair to lump the public health community together. I think we would also dispute what's happening in Wales and um, uh, the WHO's statements on, on, on e-cigarettes. We, we disagree with them. What we do know, though, is that the, in the UK, or in England rather, there is a broad consensus now among the public health community that e-cigarettes as a harm reduction tool are important and should be supported. So, so I actually hope that I've reassured the panel there uh, and the audience that, that, that actually we, we, do, you know, we do support e-cigarettes um, for smokers. Um, in terms of a uh, question from uh, the gentleman about personal choice, and I think um, several people touched on it, if I may, sir, call you part of the rump and the hardcore, we know that two in three people want to quit smoking who, who, who smoke. Actually, the figure's probably higher. Dispute the idea that it's personal choice and freedom of choice, and actually the, the, the fact of the matter is it's personal choice, yes, but it does impact on society. It costs policy exchange. I've estimated that the cost of treating smoking is a, a, upwards of £13 billion a year to the NHS. And I, Christopher, you may dispute on that, but I think in terms of pounds, shilling and pence, I'd rather not get into an argument with you about that. It does bring in revenue, but it costs a lot more, a significant amount more. I don't think it's personal choice when you're addicted to the nicotine. Um, in terms of the, the culture and the, the micro-vaping culture and the, and the war on culture, which, which uh, you made and, and I think you touched on it as well. Um, yeah, it, I mean, okay, I, I think I've said my piece about nicotine. It's, you know, it's not, a, it's not so much of a public health battle to get people off nicotine. It's more of a, an issue of addiction. Do we want people addicted to this substance? Anyway, I've got my red card, so I'll shut up. Just quickly on the question about the EU, I mean, yeah, the, the government could then regulate tobacco and e-cigarettes however it wanted to, um, which probably would be better than the EU at the moment. Uh, three years ago, it looked like probably going to be worse than the EU. There was a whole lot of stuff about we need to be regulated as medical products. Uh, in fairness to some of the public health people, they have 
mainly back down on that now and realise that should, that is really not the way to go. There's is way too expensive to put them through medical regulations. So I suspect because Britain has become a bit of a world capital of vaping and people do see it's kind of working just on a, on a street level, I suspect we would get better regulation than the EU. Um, on the £13 billion, I can't let it go. Um, it, it, you know, uh, I think more than half of that is lost productivity from smoking breaks. Right? These are not the costs of treating people. The cost of treating people is about £3 billion. Tobacco revenue is about £14 billion. There is no negative externality there. On the division of public health, I mean, I, I hope I made it clear in my opening remarks that I, I saw kind of, you know, I didn't see the public health movement as, as monolithic on this. You know, there are people coming back to the, the freedom point. You know, the public health movement is basically anti-freedom. It's all about creating new criminal defensive, banning out smoking outdoors. I know uh, Duncan's organization has some very odd ideas about doctors deciding which shops are able to open up in the high street and so on. Um, so there you kind of, you know, you come on a garden public health, Puritan, prohibitionist, what have you, and you kind of deal with them for years and you think they're pretty much the worst people in the country. And then when e-cigarettes come along, you find there's, a, there's another layer. They're not actually the worst people in the country. There's these other kind of bottom feeders right below them who are against e-cigarettes because actually they're probably not even in favour of health at all. So you can almost deal with people whose ideology is this that longevity is the most important thing, health is the most important thing, liberty doesn't matter. Then you get to these people who call themselves public health people who are actually not even interested in, in health. They're just interested in destroying the tobacco industry or stopping people using nicotine because it's somehow immoral. They think that people don't get, get pleasure from it. You know, there used to be a question in the old sort of tobacco wars days when you were trying to work out whether the people you were arguing against were genuinely health zealots or they were just sort of good old-fashioned moralists, which was, you know, what, what would they do if suddenly cigarettes were somehow made harmless or a new cigarette came on the market which actually didn't cause cancer? Um, would they keep going? And the e-cigarette issue is basically allowed us to see what happens. Quite a few of them just keep on going. It's not about health for them. It's about nicotine. It's about pleasure. It's about looking like, um, you know, using the same mannerisms. That's something, you know, the, the vapor coming out of the mouth looking like smoke. That's what it's about. For a section of them, as I say, I wouldn't tie everybody with the same brush, um, but it has proven that there are people around who are even worse than we, um, we thought they were. Thanks very much, Richard. I mean, I entirely accept Duncan's point. The public health movement, just like the tobacco industry, is not one monolithic thing. I mean, I often use Simone Veil's quote that says, all sentences that begin with we are lies. And similarly, all sentences that begin the public health movement are lies. Um, I don't think it's a war on culture. I mean, I happen to know very well some of the people who are passionately against this, like Simon Chapman in Australia. He hangs out in pubs, he plays in a rock band. I don't think he's a kind of killjoy. Uh, Duncan has addressed the questions about isn't this just a matter of personal choice I think it would be very dangerous for the people who are pro e-cigarettes to say everything's a matter of personal choice I think that would lead us into a really kind of bad places and one thing I would emphasize I don't think although people are attracted by the vision of a tobacco free world and who wouldn't be? I think, don't think any public health people are in favour of prohibition. Prohibition was a disaster, and I must read Chris's book, because I'm sure it makes that point. I don't... I mean, I'm here primarily today to talk about death. I'm very pro-death. I'm a public health person who's pro-death. So I don't want people to live forever. And I think at the moment we are in a bad place because people are living longer and longer, but actually the period of unhealthy life is going up. 
So actually, we don't want people to live forever, and that's not what public health is about. I think this has been a very ideological debate, and I think scientists like to think of themselves as purely objective based on evidence, but in fact, they're absolutely not. They're human beings like everybody else, and they make, you know, they are driven by beliefs and values. And some of these people I know that's particularly true of. You know, they, they're, they're kind of... So I think I accept that point, and I think scientists deceive themselves by thinking they're purely objective. I suppose the argument they would have, which could have some legitimacy, is, you know, there's this idea of the precautionary principle. And if it were turn out to be that vaping meant that even a small percentage of children who didn't smoke began to smoke, on a worldwide scale, that could have a massive effect. So there is some legitimacy for saying, because we have a little bit of evidence that might... The last point I want to make is I think if, if it's true that there are lots of vapors who are turning back to smoking cigarettes, it would be very good to gather evidence on that because I think that would be an argument that would influence public health people very strongly. I haven't seen convincing evidence on that. I hear stories, but I'd like to see the evidence. Gosh, again, lots and lots to pick up on. Um, firstly, I'd want to make a point to you, actually. You are right. There is an element of public health which isn't entirely hysterically against um, vaping. However, in your own presentation, some of the points that you made, you know, you're still very far away from understanding what it is um, that appeals to the smoker about this. And that idea of uh, removing nicotine use from society is such a, a ridiculous concept when it's not even necessary. It also oversimplifies the behaviour of a smoker. See, smoking isn't just about how much nicotine you can get into your body. It's not like being an alcoholic in that respect. There is so much pleasure around smoking and vaping in terms of when you can do it, uh, the treat element, the flavour, the sensation, the inhale and the exhale. These, I mean, I know it's sensual, <laughs> but it is. There's, there is a lot involved in smoking. And so to bring it down to purely being an addiction to nicotine, I think is, is quite brutal and I think that's unfair. Um, I think what e-cigarettes actually managed to do is kind of eke out a little bit of that because you can control how much nicotine you have. So, yes, I do take your point, and you are right, um, but there is still a very, very long way to go until a, a large part of public health understand the freedom element of all of this. It has to come back to the public health thing. It's very difficult to leave this, I'm afraid. So you made a very fabulous point about Simon Chapman. Um, there is a hardcore group of people in public health who have very little experience in this field. Um, Chris mentioned Martin McKee. So whether their organisations are kind of, oh, you know, we don't think it's too bad and maybe we can come round as the evidence comes round and we're not seeing the gateway theory, which is children going to vaping and then going to smoking if they'd never have smoked. What these people are doing are perpetuating in the media um, the Simon Chapmans, uh, Martin McKee, Simon Capewells, the BMA as an entire organisation, uh, are perpetuating the scare stories in the media. And what the actual knock-on effect of that is, um, is smokers losing confidence in trying e-cigarettes. I hold no stock in the idea that two-thirds of smokers want to stop smoking. I simply don't. I think that's a function of how you do surveys. If you go to a smoker who's been told they're scum for their whole lives and then go, do you want to stop? The smoker's going to say, well... Yeah, because that's what they're supposed to say. Most smokers actually quite enjoy smoking. It's like a cardinal sin to admit you like smoking. So those, those figures don't really hold, don't hold stock, the two-third figures. 
So all these guys who um, are current smokers who might want to try e-cigarettes, essentially being told by the media and the BMA and Simon Chapman and all the rest of them, don't bother. I mean, that's the message that they're sending out. Don't bother doing it. Thank you very much. So we've only got a few minutes left. We'll go out. Is there any questions? Chris and Duncan, one thing that you seem to have in common that perhaps uh, that, well, Richard and perhaps Laurie don't, is that you seem to think that it's possible to have a a tobacco-free society, a society where people will no longer want to smoke, and you, you obviously disagree very strongly on how that should be achieved. Is that inevitable to happen one way or another, that we're no longer going to have cigarettes? And is it... Is that even desirable from a kind of point of view of people's autonomy that whether they should be able to um, have the choice to use them or not, children, 20 years from now, I can imagine, you don't know what your position will be if they want to give up smoking. They should just be phased out entirely. Uh, presumably, Chris, you'd think that the market will, will eventually just make them no-go. But yeah. I, and you guys can come back at that as well, but we'll go to the person at the back. So, so I love the libertarians who want to smoke themselves to death and I'm Claire Fox's sister and she's doing pretty well at that. She's still on 30 a day. I bought her an e-cigarette kit every Christmas for the last few years but she's not tempted. So, um, but actually I have just come back from West Belfast. My husband's from there um, and two of his brothers and one of his sisters, and Richard will know more about this, basically can't walk now because of smoking, and they can't get into hospital to have the operation where they remove one vein from one leg. And do you know that operation? Everyone in, a lot of people in West Belfast have this operation, and they have been waiting for it for a year because so many people are in hospital in Belfast waiting for that operation, and it's purely caused by uh, smoking. They're not libertarians. They didn't want the right to smoke. They just didn't know. And they're in their 50s. They're not in their 80s or 90s, and it's really, really horrible. Um, So I just think this this gets really serious when you look at people like them. I spoke to one of them about e-cigs, and they had read the mail, and they had read, and they'd read these studies, and they said the public health people are telling us we shouldn't transfer. And it got really really serious then. I mean, I run the Science Media Centre, I'm into evidence, but I thought this definitely, they are going to die because they're not even trying e-cigarettes because they read. And I think the only thing, I, I, I support public health because I want to say the people who are doing really, really good studies in this area, they're public health experts. So let's not be down on all public health. I agree with Richard. They are Robert West, look them up, Anne McNeil, uh, Peter Hadjek, these people, they are, they are public health scientists who work in smoking cessation. They want to stop people, my, my husband's family, from having these, you know, 20, 30 miserable years of life because this is a really horrible thing to do to yourself. Um, and that, so I think this is really dangerous. All we're asking of public health in this thing is that they look at the studies and evaluate them. We all know what a good study is and what a bad study is. If you've done a, uh, you've asked 13 teenagers and you publish that in a journal, that is not a good study. That is a very limited, <laughs> flawed study. Um, so, yeah, just look at the evidence and see where... And actually, these people are not saying... They're saying the jury's out. We need to do more research. But all the research so far is pointing to the direction that these are safe and they're not making people addicted. Thank you very much. Any other questions? I'll try and keep this quick. Um, first of all, you talked about the paranoia surrounding the, the um, smoking industry and obviously cigarette dealers and, you know, 
big companies like Philip Morris. I'm just asking, do you think, first of all, do you think that paranoia is okay, given that, you know, these companies are capable of suing countries and winning and vetoing legislation using laws that were completely out of context? They have this ridiculous amount of legal power that really shouldn't exist. Philip Morris is the best example. Do you not think, then, their involvement in the e-cigarette industry uh, deserves some sort of paranoia around it? And should there be some sort of regulation? And really quickly, as a second point, um, I'd like to say, I think that you guys have been conflating... Uh, the cigarette culture and the vaping culture. A lot of people who use e-cigarettes aren't smokers. And so this is a point that was, I think was brought up by Duncan but not really touched on by anyone else or really rebutted. It's the fact that actually a lot of people who do vaping um, weren't going to smoke beforehand. And so is it not better that they didn't ever use nicotine than they just began vaping because it's a culture? I'm not passing judgment. I'm just bringing it up. Okay, we'll come back to the panel and... Should we do it in reverse order? I think there's a lot of studying to be done on what is going to be the effect of these e-cigarettes on the tobacco industry. I think it's mostly a threat to them. They are monsters, but therefore, if it's a threat to them, fantastic. I'd just like to repeat the point I made earlier, because it seems to me very fundamental. If we can produce evidence that people who are vaping are switching back to smoking... (laughs) which undoubtedly everybody agrees is much more harmful, that's going to be a very powerful factor in this argument, and I'd like to encourage people to collect evidence on that. Um, Actually, I'll briefly pick up on the tobacco industry point. Much like we've just been told not to lump in public health, which is right, and I I know Peter Hayek and Nan McNeil personally, so I I completely understand what you're saying. The tobacco industry also aren't operating with one one mindset here. Uh, There's no big tobacco in that respect. Their involvement uh, in some cases for vapors is very worrying because in the States and in the EU, they have been lobbying heavily for heavy regulations. Um, So it's of a concern for everybody. However, that's not the entire tobacco industry and to be honest the products they're producing and the companies they're buying aren't likely to last unless regulation actually allows them to uh, yeah quickly on your point Ross about the cigarette free world I mean I don't think obviously cigarettes should be phased out I just think that it's clearly not beyond the wit of man to develop a nicotine product which is nearly as satisfying or, sat- or as satisfying or even more satisfying than a cigarette um, it's been a long time coming but I, you know, the, the innovation is there, not just with this, but with other nicotine products potentially. But they won't be able to launch it if you ban the advertising of it and things like this. This is where the overregulation becomes a problem. With the tobacco industry, I mentioned that the e-cigarette industry currently is very close to being perfect competition. One of the features of competition is very low profit margins. Tobacco industry will not be able to make the kind of profit margins it is used to without the government helping it by clamping down on its competitors, banning advertising, uh, over-regulating the product. That's exactly what is happening at the moment. It's classic uh, Baptist and bootleggers stuff. And on the libertarian argument that keeps coming back, I mean, obviously, you know, I'll I'll sit here all day and give you libertarian arguments about all sorts of things, and often they will be in conflict with health. I believe that people have the right to take risks in their lives. On this particular issue, my libertarian principles and health completely coincide. The more freedom there is in this area, the better it is for health. Chris, very sad story that um, the lady up there um, uh, told us and it actually just brings home the fact that actually the enemy in this war is cigarettes not e-cigarettes um, and that's the point I'd like to end on thank you. Okay. thank you very much can we thank our panel please thank you for listening to this podcast from the Institute of Ideas To find out more about our podcasts and subscribe to them, visit instituteofideas.com forward slash podcast.